Did um have have you been watching? I know when was the combine? It was just this past week. Do you pay attention to that at all? That much. Yeah. That much. I really don't. I know a lot of people get really into that. They I I have friends who they pay attention to all the measurements, how guys jump, how fast they run and But I I mean at the end of the day, isn't it does it really tell you how good they play football? Uh, if you're asking me, I wouldn't pay a lot of attention to it. I'm, I'm going to pay a lot more attention to all of the years they played college football yeah. and all of the games that you get a chance on reviewing. <laughs> That's where I'm going to make my primary decision. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, yes, it's a consideration, but I don't make that my number one consideration when I'm, when yeah. I'm evaluating a player. Uh, yeah, I do you feel like some coaches use the combine weigh it too heavily over some, all the other things? Yeah. Definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. And and for some of the athletes, uh, we're not on yet, right? Oh, we're on. We're oh, live. we are? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> we just okay. roll right into it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And for some of the players, you know, they take a big jump or they mm-hmm. take a big dip mm-hmm. depending on how they inf- perform in these things. Oh, so yeah. for some of them, they make a whole lot of money you know, doing it. But for me as a coach, I mean, I'm, I'm evaluating, you know, how they play and they got a chance to look at every single game, every single play. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they know everything about this player, at least they should. Mm -hmm. So I put it as 10, 15% of the equation. Wow. That's all in my mind. Yeah. But I'm not, (laughs) I'm not a coach or an executive, but then again, a lot of them aren't uh, all that good at what they do either. Do you think, do a lot of coaches place a lot of stock in the interview process, do you think, like when they bring a player in and just talk to them? Because I know that's a big part of the combine too, I think. I think they put a lot more stock on it now than they did going back 10 or 20 years ago. And it's a lot more of a formal interviewing process and a lot more questions being asked. Sometimes the players don't like some of the personal questions that are Mm. being asked. But it seems like in every draft, you always have a player or two. There's one this year. His name is Jalen Carter. Yeah. He's one of the most highly regarded players out there. He got into a bad situation here a few weeks back. I heard about that. Yeah, the drag yeah. racing incident. Yeah. So you really want to try to get inside of somebody as much as you can. And, and, and everybody that's in the business says it's the most difficult part of evaluating somebody. How can you really get inside that kid's mind or heart and know if they're telling the truth? And I guess that's where some of the instinctive process comes in for these mm-hmm. people doing the evaluation. But I think it's a lot more important today than it was uh, in the past. Yes. Do you think, does social media have a lot to do with that on the importance that it is, uh, that interview process is today versus in years past where you didn't have social media? Uh, it could be, Chris, because everybody is aware of what's going on in that kid's personal life more so than once upon a time. And once upon a time, when you didn't know that kind of stuff, a lot of these NFL teams, the only thing that really matters to them ultimately is can the guy play football. But now yeah. if you're faced with a situation where there is controversy surrounding the kid, mm-hmm. they have to be more cognizant of that because they're going to get backlash if they yeah. bring somebody into the organization and then the, the, the kid embarrasses them down the road. 
Yeah. So, yeah, social media plays a part because mm-hmm. 20 years ago there was no social media. So you didn't know about uh, some of these kids. Uh, I have to laugh because I can't think of his name. He was an offensive uh, lineman four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they were literally minutes away from starting the draft process, mm-hmm. the first pick. Oh, maybe the kid's name will come to you. But anyway, uh, they say breaking news. <laughs> they, they flash one of these guys who was supposed to go pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, high in the first round. Mm. And he's got this uh, uh, like bong, big bong <laughs> uh, uh, yes. headgear on. <laughs> And he's, yeah. You're talking about uh, Laramie Tunsil, yes. I think, from yes. Ole Miss. So literally yeah. on the spot, as they're ready to draft these guys, yeah. <laughs> this guy is doing the most stupid thing in the world. Yeah. And they said, what the heck is going on here? Is this a joke? But no, it's for real. And uh, God, he dropped quite a bit, mm-hmm. literally on the spot. I remember when that happened. I think I was watching the draft uh, that year and just mind-blowing that that comes out and like you said it it hurt his oh yeah drafts I, I think he still was a first round pick but the difference between getting picked top five versus you know bottom of the first round is millions of a few dollars million bucks yeah 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 his timing was not the best <laughs> <laughs> i'm actually looking to so he was a first round he was a first round pick uh 13th overall oh he did go 13th, 13th. I, I thought he went okay. even lower than that so that's decently high. That was 2016. Yeah, 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 yeah. But no, I I agree with you. I with the advent of social media, and I mean now kids are getting paid now. Some are in in college football. I think that interview process is of the utmost importance. Sitting down one on one across from a table. Uh, from player and really getting into their head, like what, how good of a character they are or how good their character is. What, what do you see in your future? What have you done in your past? And would you fit in with our football team? Mm -hmm. And there's multiple people in the organization that are having that interview and, of course, they're discussing it together. But it's a culture thing. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, they want to make sure it's the right fit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, really quick. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Chris. This is Cheetash. We did a rolling little intro there. Sorry I caught you off guard with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no problem. But I, I have a, a very special guest here today, uh, somebody who I know personally who uh, – wrote a book, outstanding book called uh, The Loneliest Lions Fan, 60 Years of a Fan's Frustration. Please welcome Dennis Merlot. Dennis, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you, Chris. <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy to be here, and I'm hoping, uh, and I'm, I'm confident we're going to give the listeners uh, a good podcast here, but I really do thank you for uh, inviting me in. No, and when I first, the first time I heard of your book, was from that article in the local magazine here. I had no idea. They actually, and you've written two books. Uh huh. Yes. Which I'd like to ask you later about uh, the other book that you wrote. Um, what was the spark to write this book on the Detroit Lions? 
Yeah, it's a question I've been asked a few times. <laughs> and I guess I have to preface it by saying I'm 70 years old. Mm. And there's a group of guys I get together with, probably on the average over the course of the year, maybe oh once every uh, two weeks. And they're all about 80 years old or a year or two less than that. And they're all big Lions fans. So we talk a lot of sports when we get together. And these guys all can remember the 1950s mm-hmm. when the Lions were the best team in football. They won three championships. Sure, they were little kids at the time, but uh, they actually have that memory. Because one time I was saying, hey, you know, I'm of that age group, 70 years old. My best friend's the same age. and We talk all the time. We can't remember the 50s. My first recollection of football was about 1960. And, you know, and I, I tell these guys, well, at least you've got that as a memory. Now we're 65 years later. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we, we know what the lines have been here the last 60, 65 years. Because I said, well, for me, it's been nothing but a disaster. And then somebody said, well, why don't you write a book? And I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. And that was kind of the inspiration to sit down and, and, and write the book. Do you remember the very first NFL game you went to? Yes. Yes. It's in the book. Uh, I don't remember the exact year as we speak. It it was against the Chicago Bears. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mentioned that, you know, it was really a thrill just to walk into Tiger Stadium that day. That was back when they were playing at Tiger Stadium. Oh, wow. It was early in the season. It was a great day for football. I, I think the sun was shining. And, and just the majesty of it all, you know, the mm-hmm. bands blaring, uh, the uh, the tone in the in the stadium, you know, getting ready for the game and all that kind of stuff. It was very early in the season, because at that time the lines were still very much in the thick of things. Mm-hmm. So it, it was really exciting, and, and the big green grass field and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the lines didn't perform that well that day; they lost. I don't I don't remember the the final score. But uh, I do remember the game. My dad brought me to the game. Oh, and what year was this? Do you remember? Um, it's it, mid-60s. Mid-60s. Wow. Mid-60s. Uh, I, I'm sure I've got it written down in the book. Mm-hmm. I had, had a brief mention of it. But uh, I don't know, 64-ish. Wow. So, that yeah, that's, I mean, that's 50 years ago now. Wow. More. Oh, that's 60. Or 60. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. 60. Yeah. Almost 60. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And was the rivalry Bears and Lions, was that bigger back then compared to now? Or is it, how does it compare? Was it still a big rivalry back then? Definitely a big rivalry. But then you had the Lions and Packers that were also a big, big rivalry. And that was coming off of a, a, one of the biggest football games in Lion history, 1962. And actually the first chapter in the book starts with that. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving Day, 1962, when the Packers came into Tiger Stadium as a heavy favorite. They were the best team in football. They did go on and win the championship that year, the Packers. But the Lions that day, they just absolutely killed the Packers. And it was one of the mom- big, momentous games in Lions history. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Lions actually had a pretty good football team that year. Mm-hmm. So, but Bears and, and Packers have always been the two biggest rivals. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that beginning chapter of the book, and I never knew the history with the Thanksgiving Day game. And I, for those who don't know, Thanksgiving Day, the NFL has, well, now they have a bunch of games on that day, but it's always traditionally 
Lions, Cowboys. Mm -hmm. And then they added, I mean, they added like two other games now, I think, to it, which... One more at night. Oh, was it? Okay. It's just that one more. Okay. Um, But the story with the Lions getting that game has to do with their owner, is it, at the time, who was... uh, who was their owner at the time again? Yes, George Richards. George Richards, yeah. yeah. It, it was his idea going back to the 30s, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a hit from the start. You know, right from the get-go, they were selling that game out. It's a big deal for the Lions organization because the fact that this organization has been so bad on the field for the last 60 years. Mm-hmm. They don't get a lot of nationally televised games. You know, yeah. Now we've got, of course, Monday Night Football, Sunday Night Football. But this is the one guaranteed opportunity each year that they get on national television. Mm -hmm. And so many people are home Thanksgiving, of course, visiting with families. There's always big audiences on on Thanksgiving. So it's it's been a a blessing for the Lions organization. And it it is synonymous with Thanksgiving Day, Lions football. Yeah, (coughs) absolutely. Um, So, and and, and I know our family. I mean, it's a must-watch. Uh, again, unfortunately, the Lions haven't been, <laughs> been the best team over the years, but it's always an exciting day. And for me, uh, humbly so, I was born on Thanksgiving Day back in 1952. Didn't watch the game that year. <laughs> but uh, my family growing up always celebrated my birthday on Thanksgiving Day. And like every oh, wow. six or seven years, it falls on Thanksgiving Day. So, you know, I always look forward to Thanksgiving Day for, for multiple reasons, the family coming over and all that stuff. So it's uh, it's always been a, a, a an eventful day, you know, for me personally. Yeah, I, I do enjoy Thanksgiving a lot. Uh, just that whole time period between November, December, mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, lots of football in between. So, yeah, I, I enjoy that time. Uh, going Back, kind of a small tangent. Uh, you went to Michigan State. Yes, graduated from Michigan State. Uh, what was your degree in? Marketing. Marketing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you, I know you told me this before. For the longest time, you were in sales, advertising, sales. Yes. Yes. Nice. Uh, I didn't start out in marketing. Started out in engineering. <laughs> After one year of a bunch of math classes, I said, "Nope, this is not for me." <laughs> And I remember going to a consular because I wanted to graduate in four years. Mm -hmm. And I said, based on what I've taken, what can I turn into here to get out of here in four years? And he said, how about marketing? I said, okay, what can you do with a marketing degree? He said, well, you can go into outside sales. And I said, well, that sounds pretty good. (laughs) And that's about all the thought that I gave to it at the time. And it's just the rest is history from there? Pretty much. You know, I was in outside sales my entire life. Wow. Wow. Um, it's interesting. I So I was a sales rep for two companies, a uh, medical device company and a beverage distributor. Um, what do you think, what's the most important thing for a salesperson to have, would you say? Yeah, that's a pretty easy question for me to answer because, you know, I was, I was in sales as a salesperson for a long time and then I got a chance to become a manager. And as a manager, I was riding with my salespeople. This was back in the yellow pages. Oh, wow. And, you know, I I was taught about the value of listening, you know, when I first entered sales. 
but it really, really came into focus. And I was always a pretty good listener, but it really came into focus when I was writing with my salespeople. And, you know, you're, you're more concentrated in that, in that uh, situation in what the client is saying than what your own salesperson is saying, really. And I remember sometimes coming out of these calls, and I would interject, you know, throughout the call, some points and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes the salesperson that I was writing would say, you know, you, you got some good points in there. And I said, you know, it really is easy when you're paying attention to the, the customer and you learn exactly what he or she wants. And a lot of times it's as simple as just playing back what they're saying. But, uh, you know, listening is very important. And then just basic communication skills, certainly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, then just the, uh, the drive, I guess, you know, to do a good job. And I, I certainly think there's a persistence factor, you know, that helps make you uh, be a good salesperson. So you kind of roll those things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, you know, you got a pretty, pretty good chance of being successful in sales. It kind of, it kind of sounds like, like a football team. Like you got to be persistent and have good communication. You got to listen to your coaches and yeah, it seems like there's some parallels there. And I, I don't know if the lions have been following that <laughs> over the years. Maybe they've been listening to the wrong advice. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure they've got some of that <clears throat> bad advice over the years. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's funny. I think when we were talking on the phone several weeks ago and you, <laughs> You said that, you know, it's hard, something to the effect of it's hard to believe, but the Detroit Lions were once really good. And reading your book in the history of the Lions over the, these last 50, 60 years, there hasn't been much success since those, like you said, those three championships in the 1950s. I mean, this is like a very open-ended question, but what has happened in these last 60 years? But now having said that though, I know when Barry Sanders came to the team, they had some success Mm -hmm. in the Mm nineties they had some playoff appearances, but I'm like in reading your book, like the sixties, seventies, eighties, not much happening really. And even throughout a little bit of my childhood, like Steve Mariucci, Rod Marinelli, uh, um, Jim Schwartz, Matt Patricia, just not a lot happening. <laughs> yeah, and you know, you you've always hear how many hundreds of times over the years of, as have I heard you know the Ford family. That's that's the fault, and it certainly starts there, no question. But but I think when you're when you're this bad this long, it, it's really a group effort. It's an organizational thing all the way through. And yes, Ford gets a lot of blame because he was loyal to a fault and hung on to some guys longer than he should have. Too often he didn't bring in the right people. But when Ford brought people in, he was inclined to just totally step out of the way. I mean, he never, never interfered with any general managers or coaches in doing their job. So, you know, you would think by sheer luck, you know, over 60, 65 years, that somebody would come in and really know what they're doing and, and bring in the right coaches, players from a general manager standpoint. We had Russell Thomas way too long as a general manager. But really, it's been a failure all the way through. I mean, 
you know, you have to take a look to it, general managers and coaches and, of course, the players. And a lot of times the players don't get, you know, enough blame put on them. Mm-hmm. I do agree with you about the 1990s. And I think it's the most talent the Lions have had on a football team uh, in, in, in my lifetime. And, and there were some good things that happened. They did make the playoffs several times. Uh, I, I think it had uh, they had the right quarterback in place at that time. I think there's a good chance they would have gotten to a Super Bowl because mm. they had a lot of good football players in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Headlined, of course, by Barry Sanders, who, in my opinion, is the best uh, running back of all time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, it's just a collective fault. And and to the Lions' defense, uh, they've had some hard luck over the years. They really have. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, with some of the tragic, unfortunate incidents on the field, They've been beleaguered by injuries, I think, more so than the average football team. And I'm not making excuses for them because it, it really does lie in the organization. Mm-hmm. They, they, they hired a coach by the name of Don McCaffrey back in the uh, mid-'70s, and they thought that this was their guy. He was coming from uh, the Baltimore Colts, and he won a Super Bowl with the Colts. With uh, Don Shula, was it? But, uh, Shula had left the Colts. Shula was the uh, coach uh, of the Colts. Oh, okay. And, and he took a job as head coach of Miami, so Baltimore uh, uh, promoted Don McCaffrey. Okay. And they won a Super Bowl with McCaffrey. Well, a year or so later, they're, they're getting rid of McCaffrey because Baltimore at the time had an aging quarterback in Johnny Unitas, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, who was probably past his prime, and the executives at Baltimore said, you know, we want to move on from Unitas. McCaffrey didn't want to move on from Unitas. So they let McCaffrey go. Mm-hmm. And the Lions thought they hit the home run when they picked up McCaffrey. William Ford was in love with him. So he comes out for one year. The Lions didn't have that very good of a year. They still were very, very high on McCaffrey. And what happens that offseason? He dies of a heart attack, uh, working out, not working out, but doing yard work in his own yard wow, in the yeah. middle of summer. <laughs> he drops dead of a massive heart attack. So you know they've had some unfortunate things happen along the way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, but, you know, all in all, again, um, when it goes wrong for so long, there's not just one person to blame. There's a lot of blame to go around. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that. The, so cur- the current own, owner right now is Martha Ford, is it? Or No, it's a daughter, Sheila Ford. Sheila, okay. Martha took over for a few years after the death of William Clay Ford. Okay, okay. And William Clay Ford was the owner for a long, long time. Oh, yes. Um, since... Um, 63. 63, wow. And even before then, he was still like a minority shareholder yep. in the team. Um, Quite a story. Yeah, he, he's he, the grands, grandson of Henry Ford. Yeah. Okay. And he was a minority owner, and he bought out the other owners for a grand total of $4 million. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, which is about the cost of the popcorn they sell today. You right. Know? Uh, but it's, it's a date that will always be indebted in, in my mind because Ford officially became the owner of the Detroit Lions on November 22nd, 1963, the same day yeah. John F. Kennedy got shot. And what a coincidence. What a coincidence. <laughs> I mentioned in the book, Boy, if you want to talk about a bad omen, yeah, <laughs> this guy's taking over over his owner 
the same day that Kennedy gets assassinated, of all things. But uh, yeah, that was the day he officially took over. And wow. let's see, what was it, uh, half a dozen, seven years ago, something like that, that he passed away. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned when he passed away, um, you know, I, I, I have a lot of sympathy for the guy because I do think at heart he was a very caring, decent man. Mm-hmm. The Ford family has always been very charitable. And I think he wanted to win in the worst way, but he just didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I think he wanted to win for sure. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it didn't happen for him in his lifetime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, Martha came along, and she had the, the team for about three years. And she's quite old, but uh, from what I hear from people, she's still pretty darn spry. Really? Yeah. And uh, now she's uh, relinquished the ownership to her uh, one daughter, Sheila. Okay. Gotcha. Hey, really quick, this is another tangent. Do you remember that day, November Twenty second, nineteen sixty three. Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, very much. Real? Do you like you remember the news? Oh yeah. What was that like? Very much. Oh yeah, I was in grade school, and 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 at that time, you know, we had the speakers where they would give announcements from the uh, principal's office, and they came on and they mentioned that uh, John F. Kennedy had been shot, and they immediately uh, let us go home. Wow. And I uh, at that time. Uh, I was probably in the fifth grade mm-hmm. and you know, I, uh, I was walking home about a mile away from my home and a couple, three blocks down the road, there was this pharmacy that I stopped into many, many times. And I stopped in there that day to get something. But I remember the radio, maybe TV. I don't know if a TV was on, but I do remember a radio was on. Not too many people had TV in their businesses at, at, at that time. Mm-hmm. And there were a few people in there, very, very sullen. And that's really when I heard the word that he, he had died. You know, they didn't, they didn't inform us of that when they made the announcement in school. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I walked into the pharmacy there, you know, uh, they had made the announcement on TV, radio, that uh, he had passed away. And naturally, uh, I got home. And, and one thing I remember about it is uh, my father came home that afternoon and I think it was the only time in my lifetime that my dad left early from work. <laughs> I mean, you know, they, they let him go. Yeah. And my dad was the type of guy that, uh, I mean, he, he went to work every day. And my mother was there, too. And mm-hmm. like everybody else, we were glued to the TV the next few days. I mean, we were glued to that TV. And yeah. I, I remember a lot of the images uh, on TV. But I remember that period very, very, very well. Yeah. Uh, I remember my mother was quite shook up. And she wrote a letter. Uh, about John F. Kennedy, uh, and it, it was a really nicely written letter, and uh, she uh, mailed it to somebody there in Washington, and she actually got a response, oh, I don't know, a week or two after that, that said it was going to be kept in the uh, National Archives. Wow. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, it was, uh, she, was, she was quite touched by it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, as, as a kid... And I was, that was just shortly before my 11th birthday. You know, it's one of the things that's ingrained in your mind. But I remember that day quite well. Wow. That day in 2001, 9-11. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say that I was 10. I was in fifth grade when that happened. And I remember, my memory's kind of fuzzy, but I do remember being in school, being let out of school early 
I didn't know what was going on. Like, why are we getting let out? And I do remember coming home and watching uh, the TV and seeing uh, what was happening. And something I'll never forget. Yeah. You're just riveted to the TV. Yeah. Yeah. On 9-11, I was working out of my home office, and I had a radio way in the background. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, I heard something about a plane crash, didn't think much of it. And I think the the, uh, uh, person on the radio wasn't sure what had happened either. And then it became apparent 15, 20 minutes later that this plane had uh, crashed into uh, one of the uh, Twin Towers there. Mm Mm-hmm. And we all, you know, realized something was going on. Uh, you know, I called my wife, Sandy. She came home. And again, we were just fixated on the TV the rest of the day. In fact, I remember I was in suit and tie. And I think it wasn't until 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon when I finally took my suit and tie off. I wasn't going to work that day. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, I didn't want to uh, uh, take myself away from the TV and all the coverage. But, yeah, those two days, I mean, how, how can you not forget? Yeah. And... Tying it back to the Lions and, you know, how earlier we mentioned just the tragedy and, like, bad luck that has struck the Lions. I didn't realize this one player, uh, was it Chuck Hughes? Yeah. In uh, the 1971, was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. First or the only NFL player to die on the field, and he was a Detroit Lion. NFL player, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a crazy story. I, kn- I had no idea that, that that happened. So frightening. And before I get into that, because going back for just a second to the Kennedy assassination. Yeah, absolutely. Pete Rosell yeah. was the commissioner of the National Football League at the time. I think that occurred on a Thursday. Okay. And uh, today, these follow- the following ga- uh, game on- uh, games on Sunday you know, would be canceled. Mm-hmm. But the games were played on that following Sunday. Oh, and Pete okay. Rosell... Many times when he was still alive, said the biggest regret he had in his lifetime is that he didn't cancel those games. Really? Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. But Chuck Hughes, uh, again, I, I, I was watching the game. You know, there aren't many games over the years of the Lions I've missed. Uh, you knew it was bad right from the get-go. And I think the reason is when the cameras uh, panned to where Hughes was lying on the field, the first player that arrived to that scene was Dick Butkus, who was the biggest, baddest, meanest, probably dirtiest football player in the National Football League at that time, linebacker. He was a great, great player. But boy, I mean, he would just kill people, you know, out there. And he he got overused, and he was frantic, you know, waving his arms to try and get medical staff out there. So you knew something really bad was happening. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, it was just so tragic. And, and uh, you know, I mentioned the Lions have had some unbelievable tragedies like that. Mm-hmm. There's others, too, Mike Utley. But um, yeah, we learned very shortly afterwards that uh, Chuck Hughes had died. I think by the time they got him to Henry Ford Hospital, he'd already passed away. Contrast that with, with what happened this past year in that Buffalo-Cincinnati Monday night game. Right, yeah. When the uh, Buffalo player went down, and that one looked pretty bad. Yeah, DeMar Hamlin. DeMar Hamlin. And we didn't know for sure if he was going to survive, but right away, you know, not right away, but shortly after, they canceled the game. And yet, when the Hughes injury or, you know, tragic situation occurred, there was only a couple, three minutes left in that game, 
They played the game out. Wow. Yeah. Again, wow. it's a sign of the times back then compared to today. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you see an athlete like that in his prime so young, and he drops, you know, he, he, one second he's competing at the highest level in a very, very physical environment, mm-hmm. and, and the next instant he's gone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, oh, boy. I mean, it's just surreal. And it just causes you to really think. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a very, very sad day. It, you had mentioned uh, Mike Otley. Do you remember, were, uh, like, uh, watching that live on TV? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, again, you could tell that one was dire. And uh, Wayne Fonts, uh, who went out there, among others, uh, he mentioned that, uh, and this is mentioned in the book, that mm-hmm. – he got over Utley, and right away he looked at the head the doctor there, and uh, Fonts said the doctor didn't say a word. He just kept shaking his head. And Fonts knew that it was, uh, you know, it was really, really devastating. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, he never, uh, you know, he's been paralyzed ever since. But he's made some good out of it, Mike Utley. Uh, again, this is mentioned in the book today. I mean, he still speaks mm-hmm. on behalf of uh, – uh, paralyzed uh, people and uh, tries to raise money and he educates people mm-hmm. uh, in his speaking uh, engagements as to how you, to live your life, you know, if you got this kind of uh, uh, disability to live with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he, he took a bad situation. He's made the best of it. Wow. That's uh, good for him. Wow. Uh, turning to a 180 to slightly more positive um, I know there's not <laughs> not too much with the lines, but uh, something positive. <laughs> yeah, there's positive. Yeah. There are. <laughs> um, when Barry Barry Sanders comes to town, he was drafted in. Uh, was it '88 or '89? Something like 89, that. '89, I believe. '89. Was there a sense? Do you remember feeling like this is? things are going to be different now, or he's a very special player that he can change the trajectory of this team. Was there that kind of sense when he got drafted? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. He, he was that great. Uh, I think from a running back standpoint, pure runner, I think the best runner the NFL has ever had. Now, if you want to combine catching the ball out of the backfield, blocking, maybe not, but just pure runner. Mm-hmm. When I see the highlights to this day of Barry Sanders, I just keep shaking my head. I said, how in the heck did he get out of there? But, yeah, he, you know, he, he was a former Heisman winner. Uh, the Lions got a huge break getting him. The Cowboys that year selected first. They took Troy Aikman. They, they were in need of a quarterback. Most people thought Green Bay, who had the second pick, were going to take Sanders. Uh, they surprised a lot of people by taking Tony Mandarich out of Michigan State. Big, hulking, huge offensive tackle, who everybody found out later on was on steroids to the max. (laughs) And Mandrich basically was a bust in the National Football League. He did play a few years, never really amounted to too much. So Barry fell right in the laps of the Mm -hmm. Lions. I mean, it was a no-brainer pick. And uh, he had a marvelous career. I mean, we we know that. And uh, it's a shame 
that Barry never got on center stage meeting the Super Bowl because he was so good. But people around the league, I mean, they, they knew how good he was. And, you know, they constantly were talking about what a great, great running back he was. But, yeah, you know, we thought it was going to be elevated, the performance, and it was, mm-hmm. in, in part because of Barry Sanders. Again, the 90s produced – uh, the most playoff years in the last uh, 65 years, in the last decade, uh, what, six, seven decades. So, yeah, there were good things that happened that decade. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the the draft that year. So, yeah, you had Troy Aikman, Tony Mandrich, Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, Deion Sanders. All the first five picks are four out of the five are Hall of Famers. Hall of Famers. Yes. Like some of the best. Yes. <laughs> Outstanding. Yeah. And even later in the draft that year, uh, you have Steve Atwater selected yeah. uh, number 20, Hall of Famer. Uh, you had uh, Andre Risen. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. What's another? Eric Metcalf. I recognize that name. Uh, Daryl. Oh, Daryl Johnston. I recognize that name. There was a lot of really good players that year. And we got one of them. <laughs> we got one of them. <clears throat> one of the benefits to the uh, Lions having so many bad years, of course, is that they've had so many high draft choices. Yeah. Some of which have panned out, and others, you know, you shake your head too, saying, why in the heck did they draft that guy? But especially when you get into the Matt Millen years. But um, yeah, that was a great class. With, with Barry and his career that he had in Detroit and the ending of it, which seems very like i don't know what what the right word would be it it kind of sucks his ending that he now on one hand i like that he went out on his own terms and i think did did you put a, a quote in the book about when barry said something to the effect of if you're just doing it for individual records then you shouldn't that's not why you play the game um i i guess that kind of speaks to barry's character totally yeah totally he's a different guy and um when the lions season ended the year before and again it's in the book that a couple of his teammates were told by barry barry said hey that's it i don't think i'm coming back Mm -hmm. and they mentioned to barry hey you got to come back you're only something like 1,500 yards shy of the all-time rushing record at that time held by Emmett Smith. And Sanders was a better running back than Emmett Smith. There's no question about it. And, and that's when he made the statement, well, when you're in it for the awards only, when you're in it for personal accomplishments only, that's not good and it's, and it's time to get out. Mm. If Barry, and he left the game at the very, very top of his career, he was still by far the best running back in, in football. Mm-hmm. And he had four years left on his contract. And I I think without a doubt, uh, he could have played another three or four years easily. And he would have smashed Emmett Smith's record. I mean, he he would have a record that probably would be untouchable today because nowadays running backs, their careers are a heck of a lot shorter uh, than what some of these careers were back in the day, like Emmett Smith, who played for a long, long time. But yeah, Barry was a different guy altogether. Different guy altogether. And even in, in, in college, uh, Barry won the Heisman Award his last year, which is j- junior year. And everybody knew he was going to win the Heisman. 
And his team that year uh, was playing in a bowl game over in Tokyo mm. the day that the Heisman ceremonies were taking place. And Barry wasn't even going to watch the Heisman ceremonies, even though he knew he was going to win it. And it was his teammates, especially the offensive line, that convinced him to watch the show. Mm-hmm. And Barry said, ah, I really don't care about awards. And this was the Heisman Trophy, which I think is the most fantastic trophy in sports, this big, huge Heisman Trophy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they convinced Barry to sit down and watch it. He, he, never, he never thought about themself, himself in that way, about winning awards and things. Um, so uh, that never drove him. Otherwise, he would have played football another year or two. But, of course, everybody was shocked the day that the, uh, the news report came out. And then we learned afterwards that, you know, for all the world, it didn't look like Barry, you know, was going to come back. And the coach at that time, Bobby Ross, was, uh, uh, you know, frantically, desperately trying to get in touch with Barry. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, couldn't. Barry just released uh, the statement. And uh, sure enough, and, you know, today when players say I'm retiring, a lot of times, okay, he's going to come back. But, no, nope, Barry Sanders never came back. Mm-hmm. And that, mm-hmm. that was sad. It was sad the way that it ended. Yeah. You know, he never went out with, uh, you know, people really uh, saluting him, being such a great running back. But uh, it, it kind of just spoke to his personality in a lot of ways. I think today, because you see him on a lot of commercials and now he's, Pretty. Uh, uh, yeah. um, I've seen him do some interviews and stuff. Yes, yeah. yes. Much more uh, open today and getting out in public today than he was back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What was, was there a story too with the years remaining on his contract that the Lions came after him for the, for essentially retiring before his contract ended? Was there something like well, that? You're talking about Calvin Johnson. Oh, was that Calvin? Yeah, okay. Calvin, okay. Calvin. And when Barry retired, I mean, he made it known that this had nothing to do with money. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about Calvin Johnson. Oh, and, and, of okay. course, the Lions, who I think is probably the second <laughs> best player in Lions history. Yeah. And we went down the same path with Calvin as we did Barry. Yeah. You know, this exact same path, you know, 2.0. And the Lions were trying to get some money back from Calvin, like a million or so bucks, because he didn't fulfill his contract. mm and, of course, that became a uh, position of uh, strong dispute and uh, disagreement. And, you know, for a couple, three years there, it was really, really a bad relationship between the Lions and Calvin uh, Johnson. And I think they finally have patched that back up. And now Calvin is, again, uh, you know, doing some things on behalf of the organization. But, yeah, you know, it was not a good look for the Lions mm-hmm. uh, when that happened. And again, that was just a huge surprise too when uh, yeah. when Calvin uh, decided to leave the game. Mm-hmm. And again, even though he was he, he was a lot more beat up than Barry was. I mean, oh, Barry yeah. for the ten years that he played in the National Football League, I mean, the guy was never hurt. I don't think you heard too many times that defenders had a really good, really good hit on Barry because he was so elusive. Yeah, but but uh, Calvin Johnson was was beat up to an extent. Oh yeah. Yeah, so um, I think that was one of the reasons, certainly, why uh, why he gave it up. But I think if the Lions were in a position to challenge, you know, for the championship, I think Calvin would have hung in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, like you said earlier, that the amount of 
high draft picks that this team has had and chances at players like and they've had the players um but still not having things coalesce together to get a super bowl um another player i grew up watching and i remember when this guy was drafted uh joey harrington yeah and um I forget what year that was, 2002, 2003, something like that. Yeah, I, I want to say 2002. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Millen drafted him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll, um, let me ask you about that before going to Harrington. So Matt Millen was the GM, general manager for the Lions for quite some years. And Russ Thomas was the GM for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And is there a sort of comparison between those two guys in that not hugely successful uh, owner was very loyal to them, maybe keeping them around a little too long? Like, is there a comparison or is there a, or is there still, are they miles apart, those two? Well, in a sense that Ford kept both of them too long, absolutely. You know, and, and, and Thomas was the general manager for like 22, 23 years. <laughs> but different times, and, you know, Thomas was always accused of being cheap. And a lot of the players didn't like Russ Thomas. But the players didn't have the options then, as they did today. Uh, they were kind of confined <laughs> to playing for that team. It was harder. They didn't even have free agency until the 90s. So there were fewer options available, and – when contracts ran out, some of those Lions players would move on because they didn't want to play for uh, Russ Thomas because they thought Russ Thomas was cheap. And back in those days, that was the uh, one of the uh, uh, hits that Ford used to keep taking, that you know, he doesn't want to pay these guys. Mm. Uh, and, um, you know, the, it, it was, there was probably some truth to that. Now, today you've got the salary cap, and you've you got to pay these players. With Millen, I, I, it was not a case that, you know, he wasn't willing to pay guys. Uh, he he just made so many bad decisions, and <clears throat> and right off the bat, who he hired as coach, and you know we knew it was a gamble uh, taking on Matt Mellon. I I wasn't as down on the move at the time as maybe some people were, and I think a lot of people were even kind of for it. It was Bill Ford Jr.'s idea. He had approached uh, his dad two years before they hired Matt Mellon. And, you know, it was kind of like, okay, nothing has really worked for the Lions. Why not do something out of the box? And that was out of the box. Because yeah. he was, Matt Millen was a broadcaster? Yep. Right before taking yeah. the job? Wow. Yeah. wow. Way out of the box. And I liked Matt Millen as a broadcaster. Yeah. I thought he was very good. And I thought there was a humorous side to him. And as a player, Matt Millen was a really good football player. Yeah, He won know? a few Super Bowls, didn't he? He was on, yeah, yeah Super Bowl winning teams. Yeah. And he was a hard-nosed guy. So, you know, I kind of liked the move when it happened. Mm-hmm. But, of course, he had no previous general manager experience. He brings in Marty Morningweg. Morningweg was, was the only guy that Millen interviewed for the job. <laughs> the only guy. He was in love, Matt Millen, with this family tree of a coach at the time by the name of Mike Holmgren. Oh, yeah, I he remember He was the him. coach of the Green Bay Packers. They had a lot of success. Yes, Dude. they did. Yeah. Holmgren won yeah. a Super Bowl. And Holmgren had assistants working under him in the 90s that included guys like Mariucci 
Andy Reid, who mm-hmm. now is regarded as one of the best all-time coaches in football. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Gruden was on the staff. Wow. So he was in love with Holmgren and the guys that had become head coaches that had served under uh, Mike Holmgren. Well, one of those guys that became a head coach was Steve Mariucci. And uh, Morningweg was the uh, offensive coordinator under Mariucci. So he thought, okay, this family tree is going to uh, uh, provide another guy who's going to have success as a head coach. So he grabbed uh, Morningweg. And, of course, you know, the <laughs> what a story that was. It was uh, just ultimate disaster those two years. Five games Morningweg uh, won in those two years. Oof. That's it. Wow. Uh, but, you know, mistake right off the bat. Uh, they also had, you know, coming out of the 90s, they had a decent amount of talent that still remained on that football team. Granted, some of it was getting older, but Millen and Morningwig both came in with this attitude, hey, we've come from successful organizations, especially Millen. We know how to do this thing. Step aside. We're going to show you how it gets done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this, this kind of uh, arrogant attitude. And he really kind of gutted the roster over the next year or so. He let a lot of guys go. And I always said, you know, it's very easy to get rid of people in any kind of industry or organization. That doesn't take any talent, getting rid of people. But it's finding people that are better to replace them, mm. which uh, <laughs> didn't prove to be Bat uh, Mellon's strong, uh, strong point. <laughs> so, uh, you know, things kind of went from bad to worse. Uh, and actually, he did hire uh, uh, Mariucci. Uh, the next time, because mm-hmm. that was the guy he supposedly always wanted to get. But, of course, Mariucci didn't work out either. But Matt Millen, in the uh, interview uh, that he had uh, three or four years ago with Peter King, uh, a renowned sports writer, uh, admitted. He said he was in over his head. He said he was in over his head. And, you know, he, he definitely... Uh, uh, Pointed to a lot of bad choices that he made in, in, in the first rounds, drafting, including a lot of wide receivers who didn't work out, including Joey Harrington. Mm-hmm. So, you know, nothing ever went right. Yeah. Nothing ever went right. He has, the crazy thing is he, he did end up dr- drafting Calvin Johnson that one year, which uh, I should look this up. The Raiders had the pick before the Lions, yeah. And Calvin Johnson was there for them. They ended up taking Jamarcus Russell, yeah, who was not a very good pick for them. He bombed, <laughs> yeah. So luckily, thankfully, the one time he did pick a wide receiver that year, it ended up being yeah. A good that one. was a no brainer. Yeah, a no brainer. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, he got that one right. But again, that, that was, that was an effect like drafting Barry Sanders. It it was a no brainer. So that one he got right. You know, you mentioned Joey Harrington. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, uh, he had, uh, an interview again, a few years ago with a freelance uh, writer for the Detroit free press named Bill Dow. Bill's a friend of mine. And, uh, Joey, he never was well liked by a lot of the players. Uh, some of the players thought he came in with too kind of too much of a rosy kind of outlook, <laughs> but uh, and uh, Harrington uh, also uh, uh, says uh, in, in this interview with Bill Dow that you know Mariucci never really cared for him much either. Mariucci was in favor of running backs who had more mobility, 
can make things happen yeah. better than Harrington. So Harrington said, you know, they were trying to fit the proverbial uh, square peg in a round hole with him. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Joey didn't do that well here with the Lions. He, he said when he first stepped off the plane and he was going through the, uh, the terminal, right away he said this guy came up to him and he said, you're Joey Harrington? And, of course, this was after uh, Harrington had been drafted. And Joey said, yeah. And he said, well, let me tell you something. He said the two most scrutinized uh, uh, athletes in Detroit are going to be the quarterback for the Lions and uh, the goalie for the Red Wings. And we haven't had a good quarterback since Bobby Lane. He said, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So Joey said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. What am I getting into here? Right. And I I just looked up uh, the 2007 NFL draft. Uh, So, yeah, Jamarcus Russell went number one, Calvin number two. Uh, Joe Thomas, number three. Good player. Um, yeah, a very good player. Uh, Adrian Peterson, number seven. Not uh, too bad. <laughs> yeah. There was, I remember this guy, Patrick Willis, number oh, yeah. 11. Oh, yeah. Marshawn Lynch, number 12. Yeah, yeah. Um, Daryl Rivas, 14th pick. Sure. Uh, I remember this, Lawrence Timmons. I remember him being pretty mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. linebacker. This was a pretty good draft class, too. Jeez. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, there's always good guys coming out of, of round one. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the Lions have made some good picks over the years, but I think more times than not, especially when you get beyond that first or second choice, you know, they, they kind of screwed yeah. up. But uh, that's the – hey, that's the bread and butter of, of any team's uh, success. You know, uh, that's – Yeah. You, you got to do well in the draft. And you, you said, well, why have the Lions – not done well, uh, that's certainly one of the reasons. For the most part, they haven't done well in the draft. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to come back to bite you more times than not. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. I've always told people those later rounds, I really judge you on how well you draft in those later rounds and finding like the gems or like the diamonds in the rough, so to speak. Because it seems like teams, like the Patriots... (laughs) <laughs> they somehow find these guys I've never heard of and turn them into stars, like quality players. And I always, and maybe it's gotten better too with um, the current GM. Uh, Brad Holmes. Yeah. Because yes. I, I like some of the picks that he's made uh, over, especially like last year. Um, seems like a couple of those guys are got pretty good playing time. Um so we'll see. Maybe it's gotten better. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so far so good as far as who he's been drafting. You know, mm-hmm. you mentioned like the Belichick and Brady years, and of course we all know the story there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the last couple three years it hasn't gone so good for New England. Yeah, and Brady won that Super Bowl with Tampa. But you do have to give Belichick credit in in this regard. You know, for darn near two decades, he was drafting at the bottom of the first round every single year. That's true. And yeah. he did find guys, and and of course he had a superstar quarterback but you need more than the quarterback and he did find guys for the mm-hmm. longest time he doesn't have that quarterback now he doesn't have as good a team but you got to give him credit you know he found guys that you know other gms would have found mm-hmm. so yeah you know besides being a good coach he he made some very uh prudent picks in later rounds speaking of uh bobby lane did you feel like when the lions drafted Matthew Stafford that Matthew Stafford was 
all in all, looking at his career with Detroit, as good or better than Bobby Lane or like the best quarterback that the Detroit Lions have had since Bobby Lane? What do you think? Well, you know, I never saw Bobby Lane. I'm glad you brought up Bobby Lane. I never saw Bobby Lane play. Yes, I've seen some highlights. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if Stafford is a better quarterback than Bobby Lane was. But I've never seen Bobby Lane play. And I was not one of these guys that thought Stafford was the, quote, bum, unquote, quarterback that a lot of people in this town thought. You know, I, I've listened to a lot of sports talk radio over the years. And there's a lot of sports fans that won't admit it. But, I mean, they bashed the heck out of Matthew Stafford. And the majority of calls said, this guy's a loser. He's not good enough. He's never going to get you to the Super Bowl. And I never thought Matthew Stafford was an elite quarterback. Never. But I always thought he was a pretty darn good quarterback. And oh, yeah. given the right situation, and we found out what happened there with the Rams. I think the guy was always a pretty darn good quarterback. We didn't have the right team around him. So I think it was unfair of the fans to bash him in the way that they did. And like I said, they won't come on talk radio today and said, oh, yeah, I was one of those guys for years and years and years that got on Matthew Stafford. Um, You know, and all in all in all, he seemed like, you know, a good guy. I, I don't think he's a great quarterback, but he showed that with all the right pieces in place, and today, I think Jared Goff is basically Matthew Stafford. I Again, he's not an elite quarterback, but I think there's a lot of similarities there. Mm-hmm. You know, both of them don't have a lot of mobility, virtually no mobility. He's a pocket passer. They both like to play action. Goff doesn't have the arm that Stafford has, but Goff's pretty accurate in those passes 15, 20, 25 yards down the field. Now, you mentioned Bobby Lane, and like I said, yeah. you know, and, and – We've got a, a chapter devoted to uh, the 50s and the Bobby Lane curse and all that. And, you know, everybody knows Bobby was a carouser back in the day. <laughs> Big time carouser. He was a party boy. Everybody loved Bobby Lane. Mm-hmm. Everybody loved him. Uh, one story I, I mentioned in the book, I've got a friend who was a little kid, a little bit older than me, my, my friend, his name is Chuck. And his, his father at the time, back in the 50s, was the general manager of the Park Shelton Hotel in downtown Detroit. And one, uh, one year, uh, Bobby Lane actually resided in this hotel. And my friend Chuck uh, loved hanging around the hotel. Uh, he, was, he was a young kid, you know, being with the dad at the, at the time. And some of the Lions players would hang out there. And he just loved hanging out there. And he said one time he gets on the elevator and there's Bobby Lane and this uh, young lady getting off. And uh, my friend recognized him and he said, uh, hello, Mr. Lane. Hello, Mrs. Lane. <laughs> well, no, it wasn't Mrs. Lane. Bo- Bobby was married at the time, of course, but he was with uh, obviously one of his many girlfriends at the time. <laughs> you know, uh, a well-known fact that he was a big carouser. Wow. But, you know, the story goes, uh, yeah, he was very upset when he got traded from the Lions to the Pittsburgh Steelers. He didn't want to leave the Lions. He had quarterback three championship teams. And uh, he was very upset by it. And he proclaimed uh, that the Lions would never win another championship for 50 years because they were trading. (laughs) And I said, well, Bobby, uh, yeah, you're partially right, but (laughs) you're you're not altogether right because now it's been 65 years. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and the lies still have it. So is there a curse? 
when you look at some of the games over the years, and you know, we haven't gotten into some of those games, like mm-hmm. the, you know, the Tom Dempsey and all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes you do wonder: is there a curse on this organization? But uh, yeah, Bobby Lane certainly has a place in Lions history. Yeah, <laughs> I had uh, I was just pulling up Matthew Stafford's stats at with his time in Detroit. And I mean, by no means was it bad. I mean, mm-hmm. I forget the one year uh, he threw for over five thousand yards. That one year, um, another year he threw for, I mean, 32 touchdowns. That w- The 2011, he threw for 41 touchdowns. And by no means was it bad, but... No, and but, I'm not going to let Stafford totally off the hook either because mm-hmm. against good football teams, the, the record was miserable. Yeah, I remember that. And, and of yeah. course, they never won a playoff game with Stafford either at quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to totally let him off the hook. Uh, and there were a few of those games that Stafford didn't play well in. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's never one person's fault on a football team. And, again, Stafford, while I say I thought he was a good quarterback, he was never an elite quarterback like Brady was back in the day and Peyton Manning and mm-hmm. today Mahomes and uh, you know yeah. Aaron Rodgers back in the day, yeah. where these guys can put a team on their back and carry the team. I don't think Stafford, you know, rose to that kind of level. Uh, but, uh, no, he, he wasn't without some fault, but all in all, again, I mean, he, he was, he did a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the Rams were pretty happy when they picked him up in year one. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's the only Super Bowl the Rams have won. So, uh, yeah, yeah you know, he's, he's got that to take with him the rest of his life. Uh, good so, for him. yeah, I, I was kind of happy that he did win that ring, um, is he a Hall of Famer, though? I, I don't know. Um, He'll make the Hall of Fame. Yeah? Yeah. 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 Today, <clears throat> I have, I'm, I'm really one of the exceptions to the rule when it comes to Hall of Fame in all sports. Uh, I'm not going to maybe, I don't know hockey that well, but when it comes to like football, baseball, I think too many people get in the Hall of Fame in general because mm-hmm. I think the Hall of Fame should be the best of the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think there shouldn't even be any debate you know hey this 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 guy's an obvious hall of famer and now i say well if you look 50 or 100 years down the road there are gonna be so many people in the hall of fame that it's like you know some some father's gonna take his young kid in there and say hey dad there's all who you know who is the the best guys it's almost like you need to put together a specific wing for the for the elite guys but uh he'll make the hall of fame by sheer numbers you know his numbers are impressive yeah um and uh now that he's got the super bowl i i think he's in I honestly was really surprised when I saw that Calvin Johnson made the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And and I Calvin Johnson's one of my alt he's one of my favorite football players. I, I love Calvin. But in his I believe that was his first year of eligibility and I'm not taking anything away mm-hmm. from what he did on the field, but you know, was it just a little too early? Like has probably. N- has not enough time passed? Probably. Uh, yeah. It's not just numbers. And when you look at numbers, a lot of guys are going to have better numbers than Calvin because he only played nine years. I do think in the decade that he played, he was the best receiver in football. So, I mean, I, he would be in, you know, if I had a vote. But I, I agree with you. You know, it, it, it might have it happened too quickly. 
because uh, yeah, it seemed like he just had gotten out of the National Football League, and you know his career was not short, but uh, the fact that he didn't play longer, you know, there's a lot of receivers that are going to have more catches, more yards. But oh yeah, he was a great receiver. There was no question about that. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember my my cousin told me this that he tracked. I forget if it was a game or in a season how many times Calvin Johnson was uh, double teamed or like had a corner with the safety over top guarding mm-hmm. him. Too many to count. Mm-hmm. It was like uh, over fifty percent of plays defenses were doing that to them, and I I'm thinking to myself, how many players get that much attention? Uh, wide receivers get that much attention, and I, that's how special to me Calvin was. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, nobody did it better than going up and, and making that, you know, just fantastic catch, you know, high-pointing the football. You know, and for those that criticize Stafford, well, yeah, I mean, Stafford had such a great receiver that bailed him out at times. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, if he didn't have Kelvin, he wouldn't have some of the uh, completions and yardage that uh, that he had, and, and Kelvin did, you know, make Stafford look pretty good at times, too. Yeah, uh, he wasn't the best receiver at getting open, and in part because a lot of times he was double teamed and what have you. But boy, if you threw the ball up there, Calvin was going to go up and get it, and he was so darn tall and you know long arms. Yeah, and, uh, you know the, the the DBs that were covering him, they they couldn't get up there with Calvin. But um, yeah, he was uh, again. He to me he was a Hall of Famer. Yeah, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. Even for a guy that size, too, to be that fast, mm-hmm. too, was uh, – you don't really see that. Like, <laughs> I, I remember watching a play. Uh, Detroit was playing in Arizona, and he catches a slant, just a short slant, takes it 80 yards for a touchdown, outruns the cornerback, and he was being guarded by uh, a pretty good cornerback, uh, Patrick Peterson, pro bowler uh from lsu and outraces him to the to the end zone he had that ability yeah 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 i wish we, i wish we had him now i know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i know well let's talk about that in the current state of the detroit lions now and you you have a pretty positive outlook on the current head coach dan campbell and where the organizations headed is that right i'm sorry you said i did or didn't or you you do have a oh yeah yeah positive yeah 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 hey the last full chapter in 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 my book i i did have another very very tiny chapter after after that to kind of put things in summation but Mm -hmm. um i I think my closing words in that chapter were let's see the lions were 313 and one the first year under campbell and i said i don't know why but I'm as excited about the Lions as I've been in a long, long time. After having a year that was just so bad, and yet, and, and I put it a lot on Dan Campbell. And again, Campbell took a lot of criticism in year one. Oh, yeah. A lot of people thought he was a doofus. And, of course, the first half of this past season. Yeah. There were a lot of people ready to fire the guy. I hung in, I hung in there with him all the way. Now, no question the players have bought into Dan Campbell. And, yeah, a lot of players do. Not everybody does. I mean, if you want to go back to Matt Patricia, 
Oh. Players didn't buy into him at all. Yeah. So you got to have that buy-in for sure. And not just the buy-in. You're supposed to play hard in the National Football League. But I really think the Lions get an exceptional effort out of the players. And again, I, I, I attribute that in part to Dan Campbell. And, you know, I, I, at the end of season one, I said, man, this guy came in. And, and the general feeling at the time then was it was going to take three to five years mm-hmm. to make this any kind of a competitive team. Well, it looks like they've done it a lot sooner. So, yeah, I'm, I'm high on Dan Campbell. I mm-hmm. really am. And, and that year in itself, uh, the first year, uh, was, was so interesting from so many standpoints. And, you know, I'll never forget the, the, the first game they won against uh, Minnesota. And it looked like, hey, for all the world, they might have another unbeaten season. Excuse me, another winless season. And the celebration afterwards, you know, on the field, Jared Goff jumped into the arms of, of, of Campbell. And it was like they had just won the Super Bowl. And then they get into the locker room, and they're just going crazy. They're just going crazy. And Campbell is picking up Sheila Ford and raising her over the head. And Honestly, it looked like a Super Bowl celebration. <laughs> and I, I said, in fact, in, in the closing chapter, I said, boy, if this doesn't say it all about the Lions organization, that one single win after they had lost 11 games can create this kind of enthusiasm and jubilation and celebration for just winning a single football game like they had just won the Super Bowl. I said, boy, if this doesn't depict what this organization has been all about, you know, these years, that, that you know, it, it's just so little is being asked a lot of times of this, uh, of this football team. But yeah, I, I do like I, I do like the direction that the Lions are headed. I I, I think we got to be careful because I still think that the more more pieces are needed because now everybody's saying, well, it's a, it's a given that we're going to make the playoffs and win the division here this coming year. The Lions still have work to do, but I, I I really believe they've got a good chance of getting this organization at least back to where it was in the 1990s under Wayne Fonts. Mm. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm in with Campbell all the way. Do you think? With Dan Campbell being a former player himself, that 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 gives him a little more authenticity, credibility, credibility with yeah. the players. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's just being yourself. Mm-hmm. And and I think everybody recognizes that Campbell is the guy he is. Yeah, he's kind of a goofball. You know, as, going back to his initial press conference. You know, I mean, it, it was kind of insane <laughs> stuff. But, you know, he, he wasn't trying to be some corporate guy that a lot of them try to be now, mm-hmm. you know, as coaches and things like that. He was himself. And I think that's the way you're going to get through to today's athlete because I, I think they respect the fact that he's genuine, mm-hmm. which is one of the things, too, about Matt Patricia. And why I don't think it worked for him because yeah. I think he was trying to be a little bit like Bill Belichick, and he wasn't mm-hmm. Bill Belichick. So, yep, the fact that he played the game and he's such a hard-nosed guy himself – yeah, I think that adds to his credibility. I, I do think they genuinely like playing for Dan Campbell. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think part of the challenge for Dan Campbell going forward, because when he stepped in, you know, to begin with, there was a bunch of garbage on this team to a, to a large extent, player-wise. And now if the Lions start to get some good football players, uh, and, you know, these football players... <laughs> They can become prima donnas a lot of time. Oh, yeah. How that relationship 
is going to unfold because it's easier to get players to play hard when they know they're fighting for a job. Like the Lions, the last couple of years here, they know a lot of them are just fighting for a job to remain in this league, remaining on this team. Right. So it's easier to coach guys like that than if you get a bunch of really, really quality players. But, yeah, I, I, I like where the Lions are going. Mm-hmm. I guess now I kind of wanted to ask you about your other book. Oh, okay. That, that you wrote. Thanks, yeah. Because um, – I didn't know that, that you had written another book. I know you mentioned to, to me one time that we spoke. Um, what is the title of your other book? Well, hey, I appreciate you bringing it up. Uh, the title of the other book is Two My Boys, T-O. I have mm-hmm. two sons. And that was an entirely different motivation. And, yeah, I've kept a journal for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. My wife used to say, you know what, you could write a book. And and that book was dedicated strictly to my two sons, Mark and Bradley. And I guess it was an autobiography of sorts because I went back in, into my childhood and began it from my earliest memories. And it really was a book designed to pass along life lessons to my kids that I had learned along the way. Far from perfect, far from perfect. And I got some, I think, what are neat, interesting stories along the way, for sure. Not just about myself, but about others as well. Uh, and maybe it was it, it kind of a, I don't want to say a legacy thing, but something they can hang on to, uh, you know, something <laughs> something to maybe in small ways to remember me by. And I kiddingly, in fact, you know, I, I didn't know that you were going to bring this up, uh, this was, I think, 2019 when this book was published. Okay. And I do remember a, a line that I wrote in the forward of the book saying that part of the reason I wrote this book, too, was because I've never been able to get three and a half seconds of, of, of uh, my kids' attention to listen to anything that I'm saying. <laughs> and I'll tell you, Chris, I, I'm not exaggerating that. Even to this day, it's hard to get three and a half seconds. <laughs> I'm not exaggerating that. <laughs> And I'm, I'm betting that a lot of things in that book were things that they, they never knew, you know, e- even about their dad. But that's what it was, uh, just trying to pass along some, some valuable life lessons. And um, one, one thing my wife Sandy said, you know, are you writing this book too soon? Mm. You know, today I'm 70 years old. And I said, well, I don't know. But I said, I want to get something written just in case. <laughs> And, and the whole motivation behind that book was really in part two, not the main motivation. I wanted to see if I could get a book published. Mm. And I was surprised when they called up that day and said, yeah, we've accepted it. This book had an entirely different motivation, the book on the Lions. But yeah, that was, uh, that was the other book that I wrote. Didn't, it didn't have a lot of sales, To My Boys, T.O. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm proud of that book. I, I really thought uh, it, was, it was quite well written. That is, yeah, I think that is really cool that uh, you wrote something like that dedicated to them. Um, My dad has told me before that he wants to get into actually doing something of the sort of like a podcast that he can have something recorded so that, you know, 
when just life takes its course, we have something that we can go back. I mean, basically like home videos. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we still have home videos back at my parents' house of a young Mr. and Mrs. Sirik, uh, <laughs> you know, at the old house and taking care of us and stuff. And it's, it is kind of cool to uh, see that and see what life was like. <laughs> oh, sure. And, you know, today I, I do a sports cast with my youngest son, Bradley. Right, yeah. And we put it out about once a week, and we have a, a small but a very loyal uh, listeners. And, yeah, and it's like Sandy always says, you know, this is something they can take with them the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of fun. It really is. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's great that, you know, there's technology today that wasn't there once upon a time. But, uh, of course, today <laughs> seems like everybody in the world is doing a podcast. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was the nature of the first book. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, thanks for bringing it up. I, I appreciate that. Absolutely. Really quick, what is the the podcast that you do with Bradley? What's it called? Full Glass Sports? We're in the process of changing the name. Right now it's Full Glass Sports with the Burlows, but it, it, we really don't like that. Uh, but uh, we're changing the name. It's going to be Burlow Time. Okay. Merlot time. And, and right now we're actually in the process of getting a new logo put together and we're going to expand it on social media. Yeah. Merlot time, M-E-R-L-O-T-I-M-E, kind of capitalizing uh, off of the name a little bit. A lot of people, when you say your name is Merlot, they immediately think it's M-E-R-L-O-T, like the wine. Yeah. So, you know, maybe <laughs> hoping to capitalize that on a little bit, but it's all sports, all sports. And mainly, um, mainly centering on the local scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cover all sports. I mean, it's not just football, mm-hmm. you know, everything. Yeah. And where can people find that? Is it just on SoundCloud? Yeah, it's on SoundCloud right now. But uh, as I said, um, uh, we're going to hook it up on all the social media uh, platforms uh, here in the next week or two. Nice. And uh, um, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, appreciate that. Absolutely. Well, I would, I would love one day to do a uh, sports cast with you and Bradley. Oh, sure. Yeah, get uh, get you back here, and sure, we'll, we'll get another microphone. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, yeah we'll talk some Michigan yeah. sports. Yeah, some, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Some lions, some tigers. Be delighted yeah. to. Well, I, I really appreciate this, Dennis. Mm-hmm. Um, we're. Look at that. Time time has flown. It's <laughs> time flies when you're having fun. I've I've had a lot of fun talking to you about this topic and um the Detroit Lions for my lifetime hasn't been that great, but somehow I just I keep coming back and I keep watching them and they'll always have a place in my heart. And hopefully, like you said too, I I share the same positive outlook with coach Dan Campbell feels some something feels different about Dan versus you know if I look back on Mariucci uh Schwartz Marinelli um Patricia mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. and I'm blanking on uh I'm blanking on his name Caldwell Caldwell who I actually yes. didn't mind yeah I, I kind of yeah. like Caldwell but I something feels different now yeah. So hopefully, you know, 
we're trending in a good direction. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, to plug the book. Quickly. Absolutely, they're all yeah. in the book, of course. You know, I would say this for young people, uh, and I've had some young people say it's 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 a learning experience. Everything is in there. It really is. Uh, uh, you know, I mentioned Tom Dempsey and that uh, infamous day, but everything is in there. Uh, Daryl Rogers, the line, what the hell is a guy got to do to get fired around here? All that kind of stuff. For young people, it, they learn a lot, and, and they've told me that. And for those people uh, that are of my age group or even older, they really get a kick out of it because they just share in all the memories, and it brings up a lot of things they've forgotten. Uh, and uh, they really appreciate that. But it's available uh, on all of the major retailers online like Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble. I think just about every book that's been sold online has been sold through Amazon.com. Okay. So, nice. you know, if you go there, The Loneliest Lions Fan, 60 Years of a Fan's Frustration. Uh, my name is uh, Dennis Burlow, M-E-R-L-O. It's fifteen ninety five dollars uh, plus the shipping. It's a real easy read. and I, I think you would attest to that. It's oh, a yeah. fun read. It was, yeah. There's a lot of reviews there, customer reviews. Uh, so you'll get some feedback on how people feel about it. Uh, I feel good because there's a few reviews there from women. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised that uh, there's as many women that, uh, that are apparently buying the book as there are. Oh, nice. But uh, I, I really do appreciate, again, you having, having me on. And, and uh, for anybody out there that does purchase the book, hey, I love the feedback. Feel free to email me. It's DennisMerlo at gmail.com. I love the feedback, and I certainly will respond. And I'll include a link to the book. Uh, I'll include your contact Great. in the episode Great. description as well for people to go check that out and purchase. Um, again, no, I. it was a fun read. It was, it was really fun. Lots of history that I wasn't familiar with. So it's really cool uh, to get a sense of uh, where the lions were yes, and yes. hopefully again, you know, where they could go. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Dennis, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you all out there uh, as well for listening. I, I, I certainly, uh, appreciate your time. Yeah, no, this was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll do it again. Okay. Too. Yeah. Real good. Uh, thank you everybody. My name is Chris. This has been Cheetash. Take care.